Well, I want to thank Everett and Pastor Everett and Pastor Van for giving me the most optimal time to speak. It's always great to speak when people have been up till two o'clock in the morning and then they get here and they've had a nice big breakfast. So, you know, if anybody's like starts dozing off, you know, you got permission to just shake them, okay? Actually, I appreciate it last night. It was good to be here with you. It was good to, to fellowship together, to start to get to know individuals here, and to see that your church goes through some of the same technical difficulties that we face at Maranatha Bible Church. It was almost comical as we are going through the uh, video last night. It's like, at the right optimal time, it jumps ahead. You know, I, I can't scripturally support this, but I'm almost certain that demons sometimes go and reside in either electrical items or in cats, okay? I'm, it's, it's one of the two things. I'm almost positive. I was sharing with Pastor Van, this week I had this incredible opportunity. It was the weirdest thing. My name is Steve Marshall. And I got a call from a lady in our church about a week ago. She says, hey, I have, uh, I'm a nurse at such and such a place and I minister to, I help people that are in late stages of cancer. And there's a guy named Steve Marshall that I am helping out and and I started talking about spiritual things and told him that we have a pastor named Steve Marshall and he would like to meet you. He doesn't know where he's going to spend eternity, so he'd like to talk about receiving Jesus Christ. And I said, you know what, I really don't have time for this. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. (laughs) So I said, yeah, I'd love to meet my counterpart in life. So I went over to Steve Marshall's house, and his wife is Ruth Ann, my wife is Lee Ann, Here for years, he was receiving my phone calls because we both lived in the Firestone Park area. And when I was a youth pastor, people would call his house, I found out, saying, Hey, Pastor Steve, I need to talk to you. And he's like, No, 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 hold on. I'm not Pastor Steve. I don't know who this Pastor Steve is, but I keep getting phone calls for him. Well, fast track 20 years, and now we're sitting down face to face and I get a chance to lay out the gospel. This happened on Thursday of this, just you know, a couple of days ago. And, and it was so beautiful because the Lord had prepared the way. He had used the nurse. He had used events throughout his life. And as I laid out the gospel, he said, I need that. I need to give my life to Christ. And so here we are. We're sitting at the kitchen table. I grab Steve's hand and Ruth Ann's hand. And they're holding hands. And we're going into just praying the sinner's prayer. And as we are getting into the sinner's prayer, the cat jumps up on the table and starts purring right against my face. And just sticking its butt right in my face. And I'm like, Devoney cat, get out of here! <laughs> and we made it through the prayer, but I'm, that's why electrical items and cats, I'm convinced, okay? True story, but he did give his life to the Lord, and so I am praising praising the Lord for that. You know, we talked last night about the evidence of the faith that's in our life. 
And this morning we're going to talk a little bit about the example. And so I want you to think of one question um, as we're going into this. I'm going to play a little video clip and then we'll get started into James chapter 2. But we're told, in, we're told in Corinthians, Paul says, hey, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You know, we normally wouldn't just tell everybody, go ahead, follow my example. But Paul's confidence wasn't in himself, it was in the one he was following. So it, it, tell, it, it pays the reason that if we're following the Lord and we're following His footsteps and we're doing what He wants, then it's going to be safe for other people to follow our example. So today, I want you to think about this. If people were to follow your example, if your coworkers or your sons or your daughters, if they were to follow your example exactly as you are leading, where would your footsteps take them? Where would your footsteps take them? Let's think about example. Let's pray and then we'll start. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would help us to think through the kind of example that we are leading. Help us to wake up, so to speak, Lord, to the current reality of our spiritual condition. And Lord, if if that waking up or that realization is saying, Lord, thank you because I'm doing what I should be doing. I'm walking with you and I'm staying in tune with the heart of God. Lord, I don't do it perfectly, but I, 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 I am striving to do that. Then, Lord, we simply praise you. But if we wake up to a different reality that our steps are taking our families down a road that is not pleasing to you, if we are leading in an area of complacency or if we're leading in an area of, of maybe some particular sin, Lord, I pray that you would put that deep conviction on our heart to do what is right in your eyes. So we ask, Father, for your guidance and your direction. Lord, I am asking specifically that you would empower this moment with your word and your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that what's powerful here is not the speaker, but what is powerful is your word and your Holy Spirit and how you use individuals along the way to bring messages to help conform us more into the likeness of Christ. So would you please do that today? May I be out of the way. May you be in the way. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Obviously, that's a recap of the movie that we watched last night. I felt like that was is such an incredible show. And it, it really depicts a lot of us. You know, the, these guys weren't horrible guys. These guys were actually really good, good moral people. These were people that had faith. These are people that would go to church on a regular basis. They were carrying their Bibles. But the reality is that there was no intentionality in the way that they were living out their faith. And it was a personal challenge when I first saw this. When he says, I don't want to be a good enough father. Because good enough's just not good enough. I want to be intentional in the way that I live. And of course, when he gets to the place that his daughter dies... And this becomes the wake-up call that we know of. It happens in different places and different times and different ways in our life. And Lord, we, we would never want it to be that, that we would lose a child. But in his situation, it, he lost a child and it caused him to wake up. 
What did he wake up to? He wake, he woke, awakened to the need for him to take God's wisdom and apply it to his everyday life in being intentional in the way that he's raising his kids, intentional in the way that he's loving his wife, intentional in the way that he is conducting his life of integrity in the workplace. And so this, that's the beauty of this picture. Now this story was thought up in somebody's mind, but it is, it is a reflection of true reality. And the true reality is that there are wake-up calls that come in our life that awaken us to having the real faith, the vibrant faith that God desires for each of us to have. Now, I will say that seeing that movie made me think of this. Does it have to take a horrible experience, a wake-up call experience, for me to finally come to the place of saying, I am going to be the man that I need to be? So I challenge you this morning, and maybe I would like to think that 100% of everybody sitting in this room is a man that's going in the right direction and is doing the right things in their life. And I don't mean to imply that it's a works thing, but again, we're talking about not our salvation, we're talking about the evidence of our faith. It not just being lip action, that it's, it's seen in our everyday life. And I hope it doesn't have to take a wake-up call for us to get to the place for, we, for us to be that kind of man that we need to be. Today we're going to be looking at real faith in our passage in James chapter 2, verses 21 through the end of the chapter. And in this passage, we're going to see two people who come from very different walks of life. We're going to take a look at Abraham as one example of faith, and Abraham is a Jew. And then we're going to see the other example that Pastor James gives us of Rahab, and she is a Gentile. Abraham is considered the friend of God, where Rahab is considered the enemy of God. Her family life comes from, the family line comes from the enemies of God. Two different individuals that come from different walks of life that are used as an example for you and I to learn from today. Now what we're going to see in this passage is that both Abraham and Rahab come to a place that is known as a testing point. I wouldn't even call it a wake-up call. I would say it was just a testing point similar to what we saw in the movie. After they made the resolution, there was a testing point. Do you remember? Each one of them faced it. Would they make the right choice? Would they do the hard thing? Now, I will say that in the movie, everything turned out great as a result of that testing point of making the right decision. But you and I know that it doesn't always turn out great. We know that sometimes we do lose the job, or we do lose the account, or we do lose the friendship. So we're going to see a testing point that's going to happen with Abraham and with Rahab. And they'll have a choice as to whether or not they'll take the mainstream of society way, just go with the flow, or go according to what God wanted them to do. Now today, I want to challenge each of us as we examine these powerful examples of faith 
to think of the kind of faith that we are leading, the kind of example that we're, we're setting. Are we men of courage? Are we men of examples? Are we men that are intentionally living out our faith? So let's start off by looking at Abraham. Abraham in verse 21. It says this. Make sure I got the right passage here. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son on the his son Isaac on the altar? Now, before we get too far into this, I want to give some background to Abraham. I want us to think through this. Abraham comes from what book of the Bible? Where? What book of the Bible is is Abraham found? In Genesis, absolutely. And in Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to find Abraham. Now let me set the stage for you because I think it's really important for us to understand the condition. Back in chapter 3 of Genesis, something vital happened. There was the first man and the first woman named Adam and Eve. You know this. This is kind of a review for you. And they had the perfect environment. I mean, Garden of Eden. They had everything at their disposal. They got to walk around naked all the time. I mean, nothing better than that. I'm telling you. There, I mean, they, they could, they had intellect that was incredible. They could name all these animals and remember the names of the animal. I mean, they were smart. This pre-fallen state was pretty incredible. I have a hard time remembering ten names, let alone all of creation they were able to name. So they have this environment, but they lose that privilege. Why did they lose the privilege? They went against God. They sinned against God, and as a result, Adam got uh, Adam got the privilege of being able to sweat by the brow, and the woman got the privilege of being able to have babies by the pain of childbirth. But the enemy, Satan, also had a consequence as well. It says this in Genesis three fifteen. It says. I will put enmity between you, talking about Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his head, uh, his heel. This is actually the first prophecy that is given in the scripture, where God is predicting that through the woman's family life, that the one who will defeat Satan would come through her line. He's making a promise. And we know from our vantage point that he's talking about Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was predicted all the way in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. God knew that they messed up and already God had a plan to take care of their failures. That it would be through her line that he would be crushed. Now he says his heel would be bruised. In other words predicting that the Messiah would be mortally wounded. And we know that he had to suffer and die on a cross. Now, then we go to Genesis chapter, with that as the background, we jump to Genesis chapter 12, and we see Abraham comes on the scene, and he is going to be called the father of the Jewish nation. Genesis chapter 1, we're introduced to Abraham, and Abraham comes out of nowhere and says, Abraham! Abraham! 
And then he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to the land that I am going to show you. Now, I want to ask you, why did God pick Abraham? Why did he pick him? Do you think it was because he had superior faith? Do you think it was because Abraham was such a righteous person that God says, man, that's my man. I got to have him. I got to have him as my servant. No, I think no on all the accounts. Actually, I, I don't even, it's, it's possible that Abraham had worshipped false gods before this time. We don't know exactly. But I don't believe God chose him for that reason. I think God chose a nobody. I think he chose a nobody because he was going to show that salvation was going to come by God and God alone. It was going to be not through man's might, man's power, man's intellect, man's genius. It wasn't going to be that way. It was going to be through God's amazing grace. And what God was going to do is he was going to do the impossible and he would do that through Abraham. You know, I think... It's worth noting here that God has this little habit throughout history to use nobodies. So I want you to know that. If there's anybody here that kind of feels like an unqualified individual, a nobody, I want you to know that's an awesome thing. That's a great starting point because that's what God desires to do. He loves using nobodies. Look at this passage in 1 Corinthians. It says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Is it sounding like your resume? Uh, he chose the lowly things of the world to, to, and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. So let's get this right. If you're feeling a little foolish... If you're feeling unwise, if you're feeling lowly despised, then please know that you have just met God's prerequisites for you to be used of Him. That's His prerequisites. And that's an awesome thing because that's what God desires to do. So God speaks to Abraham and He gives him a promise. And He says this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. He says, I want you to know something. All peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through you. I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and I will, and all peoples of the earth are going to be absolutely blessed through you. Now, what was he talking about? I think this is again a prediction of the future Messiah. So let's get the picture here. God tells Adam and Eve, He says, this is what's going to happen. Through your offspring, Eve, I am going to defeat the enemy. And then he says to Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. Through your offspring, I'm going to bless every nation. See, the wonderful plan of God is that he is working his plan of salvation. And his storyline is woven all the way through the Old Testament of how he loves the nations and how God is going to provide a significant or he's going to provide the Redeemer. Now, a few years later, God speaks to Abraham again in a vision. 
But this time, Abraham has a few questions for God. And he says, you know, God, you know, since our last encounter, um, I have this little problem that I need you to help me work out. You see, I'm getting old. And my wife and I, well, that wife you give me, she's kind of a wrinkled hag. I'm telling you, she's getting old. And I'm not seeing this as a possibility. And we can't have children. And so God says, listen, Abraham, come on. Let me take you for a little stroll. And then they go outside and he says, I want you to look at the stars. I want you to look at the stars. Start counting them. One, two, three. I can't count them, man. There's too many of them. And God says, as many as the stars are there is as many descendants that you will have through you. In other words, God was saying to Abraham, I'm going to do something incredible. I'm going to do the impossible. Again, God loves doing the impossible through impossible means. And so he's going to do it through Abraham. And this is where James comes in. Because it says in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. And this is exactly what James says here. He says, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous? This is what Pastor James is quoting right here. See, in Genesis 15, 6, it is the place that Abraham, I believe, is really yielding himself to God. The phrase credit to righteousness is a financial term. It means to put into one's account. The reality was Abraham was in a place that just like you and I and like our brother who was sharing earlier, that we're financially bankrupt. Spiritually, we are bankrupt. Abraham was spiritually bankrupt. But because he believed in God Almighty to do the impossible, it says that God deposited righteousness into his account. This is the salvation experience. And he is saying, this is the turning point. This is the moment. Do you remember your moment? Do you remember your turning point? When you gave your life to the Lord, and as it was for Steve Marshall this past week on Thursday, God deposited into his account righteousness. He took all the crud of his life. What an unbelievable exchange. I mean, when you think about it, God really gets the raw end of the deal. I mean, he gets all of our crap. He gets all of our crud, all of our filthiness, all of our slime and our sludge of our life. And in exchange, he puts righteousness into our account. And when he sees Kevin, when he sees Darren, when he sees each one of us, he sees Jesus Christ. He sees righteousness. We are now considered righteous. And this is what God says of Abraham. Now, please understand, this doesn't make Abraham a perfect person. Quite the contrary. You know, right after this, you would think that Abraham would be a great man of faith. He's the positive righteousness inside of him, and he would be operating in faith. But what does he do? Abraham is an idiot, just like you and I. I mean, all of a sudden, he's like, you know what? I think God needs a little help with this deal. 
So I'm gonna, I have a, we have a brilliant idea. How about if I have sex with my maid, with the, the, the servant in the house, Hagar, and of course his wife is right behind all this, and, 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 and we'll have a child through her. Great idea. Of course she came up with the idea and Abraham's like, well, if I have to. Uh, yeah. And so he goes along with it. The problem is, it wasn't God's design. And God says, um, Abraham, you, you, you went that well, way and Ishmael was born, but I, I want you to know something. It's not my plan. My plan is actually to use you. And now we're about a, a decade later. You're, I know you're 90 and she, uh, I, or I think he's 99 and she's 89. So he's basically a hundred and she's basically 90. And God is like, uh, that's what I'm going to do. And that's exactly what God does. Why? Because God always delights in doing the impossible through impossible means. I am sick and tired of hearing believers say, you know, I'm just a nobody. God can't use me. I mean, I mess up. I can't speak. I can't do that. You know what? All those excuses were written before. Moses tried the whole, I can't speak. And what did God do? He says, I'll speak through you. Don't worry. Just be an instrument. That we can finally get to this mentality in our example that we are a nobody. And the problem is if you start thinking you are the Mac Daddy and you are something special, then if you in and of yourself, if you start thinking that that's pride. But let's have a proper view of ourselves and realize God wants to use each and every person here as long as we understand, yeah, I'm nobody. But you know what? I got a mighty God who is going to work through me. I got a mighty God who says, all I got to do is present him myself. And he will take and he will use me in ways that I would never have thought possible. When I was 18 years of age, no way, no how, no possible way would I ever get up and speak in front of people. I had a fear of failure that was like incredible. And I was a believer at this point, but there was no way you're going to get me up to publicly speak. I still hate it. (laughs) Actually, I don't. I love it now. But it's a testimony to what God does. Now we come to a testing point for Abraham. The testing point, as we know in Genesis, was that, and and James is going to refer to this testing point. He refers to it in this verse. The testing point was this. God gives him Isaac. God gives him his only son. And it came through a miraculous thing. I mean, think of a 90-year-old woman pregnant, okay? I mean, just think about this. And then all of a sudden, she has a baby Do you think that mama is going to be a little protective of her child at this point? Okay. Yeah, she's going to hover all over this boy. And he grows up and he's probably about 13 years of age. And then God says, hey, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your boy. I want you to go over to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice. 
Oh, God, oh, yeah, sure. Let me go get the firewood and the knife. No way. This is a testing point. Now, this had to confuse uh, Abraham a little bit because he knew that it went against God's law to do human sacrifices. That's what the pagans did. But this is what God says. I want you to do this. I want you to go. And so out of obedience, he takes his son. They take the wood. They take the fire. They take the knife. They go up on Mount Moriah. They build the altar. And he puts his son upon the altar. He raises the knife. And God says, Abraham! Abraham! Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Because now I know that you fear God. Because you have not withheld your only son from me. Now just as a side note, the place that Abraham almost sacrificed his son would years later be the place that God did sacrifice his only son. The plan of the redeemer, uh, of God to bring about the Redeemer. But at this point, in this place in history, God wanted to see, would Abraham listen? And it's in this, in our passage today, James points out this testing point that gave verification that Abraham was a saved man. He was saved, he was credited as righteousness, but now this is the verification. This is the fruit that's on the tree. Look at the passage, verse 21 again. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by what he does, not by faith alone. Again, he cites Abraham as the example. Now here's how I want us to apply Abraham's example to us. James uses Abraham as the example of what real faith should be about because he was not willing to hold anything back from God. And I see nothing less in what God expects from us. That we absolutely are will not hold anything back from God. Now, if we dig deeper here, I believe Abraham's faith was absolutely profound. Because when he was willing to sacrifice his son, I believe he believed so much in his heart that God would raise him from the dead because he knew in some way, somehow, that the Redeemer would have to come through his son because God said it, he believed it, and he was going to operate in faith. He believed him that much. Look at Hebrews 11 to verify that. Hebrews, you don't have to turn there now, but Hebrews 11, 17 talks about how he believed that God would raise his son from the dead. Here's the question. Is our faith so real to those around us that they know us as a friend of God? Are we laying it all on the line for God? 
I want us to think about that for a minute. Are we laying it on the line for God? Is there areas that we're holding back from God? I believe that we are to be open in our stance to God and say, Okay, God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, these hands are for you. These eyes are for you. When I was 18 years of age, uh, I had this kind of, or I was actually 16, I had this kind of weird experience. I was reading Romans chapter 12 where it says we're to be a living sacrifice. And I started thinking about being a living sacrifice for God. In the Old Testament, that meant you go to the altar and you had to be, you had to die as an animal. But in the New Testament, because Christ went to the altar and He died, we can now go to the altar and be a living sacrifice. And so I started thinking about my life as a living sacrifice. And so I go to the Firestone Metropolitan Park, and here I am in the middle of the park, and I'm like, i got to find me an altar. What, what can I do? Uh, well, a hot dog grill will do just fine. And so here I am in the middle of the Acre Metropolitan Park, standing on a grill, of all things, and I'm like, okay, Lord, this is between you and I. And I want to be a man of God. And so I started going throughout my entire body and I said, okay, Lord, my brain, the way that I think, I want my mind to be renewed for you because it's not my mind, it's your mind. Would you take my mind? Would you take it? And I'm going to read your word. I'm going to be a committed student to God's word. Now, please understand, I didn't know I was going to be a pastor. Don't think that this is the precursor to being a pastor. Uh, no, this is a pre- precursor to being a Christian, to being a fo- devoted follower of Christ. And I said, Lord, I want my eyes. I want my eyes to be uh, set apart for you. I don't want to look at other women lustfully. I don't want to get caught up in pornography. And I will say I had some failures. I had some testing points in that. But I would say also that it was because of that dedication that pulled me back and kept me going in the straight line. I said, Lord, I want my mouth to be edifying to you. I didn't feel like I could speak at all, that I could put two, two intellectual words together that in a way for people to understand. But Lord, it's your mouth. You do with it what you want. These hands. I want these hands to be used for you, Lord. I want to be, I want, I want to be dedicated to you. My sexuality. Lord, I want that to be set apart for you. It would be my prayer that I would have only one woman in my life and that I could devote myself only to her. That I would have intimacy only with one woman in my life. I praise God that that's been true in my life. I know that, that can't be, that's not true for others because they came to Christ at different places. But fortunately, at that early stage in my life, God was allowed to got a hold of my heart. And it is true. For I'm speaking to some of you younger people here. It is possible for you to stay morally pure and to be an example in a world that is absolutely corrupt. You, I know your parents are going to hover over you every way that they can, but I can guarantee you that you can get away with anything you want to get away with. Your friend is always going to have a phone that you can get onto the internet. You're, 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 there's going to be people that are sexting pictures, and you may not even have a phone because your parents are trying to guard you. They're guarding you with password protection. Okay, I think that's all great, but the reality is you can get it anywhere you want to get it. 
So what's it going to take? It's not going to take mom and dad holding you to a higher restriction. What it's going to do is it's going to take God being so real in your life that you are going to choose to be a man of God. That you will make the right choices. That you will say, as for me, Lord, I am presenting myself to you. I want you to do something in me that is so unusual than what other people in society are all about. I will be a man of God. I will do this. I'm not going to do it because my parents are saying that I should. It's wise. It's true. But I'm doing it because you, oh God, you're pleased. And my feet. Lord, I want my feet to take me places that will share the good news of Christ. Friends, what kind of example are we? Have we made that kind of dedication before the Lord? We got one more example and we'll close out. This is a little bit quicker. It's Rahab. Take a look at verse... Somebody read verses 25 through 27 for me. Somebody with a loud voice. Go ahead. And in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by words when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now what's interesting is that God uses another example and it's Rahab in this situation. Now I would say this is not exactly the typical example that we would naturally think of. If I'm tucking my kids in at night, I'm usually telling them about David and Goliath. I'm talking about maybe Moses and how he rescued the people of Israel. I'm usually not talking about a prostitute that hid the spies, okay? Daddy, what's a prostitute? Okay, it just adds a little bit of confusion here. But needless to say, it is an example that God uses here and and shows a changed life. Now, how do we get to this Rahab the prostitute? I'm going to fast forward from Abraham and Isaac. Of course, we know that Isaac has a couple of kids and Jacob is one of them and he has 12 children and those 12 children end up going all the way over to Egypt because Joseph was sold into slavery and God had ordained it all and orchestrated it all. Did it so he could save the nation of Israel and their 12 people and their families were 140 and then there went to like a, a 1.4 million people after uh, 430 years and of course they're in slavery by a ruthless dictator in Egypt and God sends a redeemer of Moses and he leads them through the parting of the Red Sea they go through the Red Sea they go through the wilderness they have a chance to go into the promised land but they don't go in the promised land because they doubt God and then they finally go into the promised land (sighs) that was a long journey And we finally get to the place where Joshua is the successor to Moses and they're going into the promised land and he sends the spies in and they go into the city of Jericho and this is where we meet meet, uh, Rahab. Now Israel was about to move into this city. They're going to march around it, but Joshua sent the spies in and this is what... The passage says in Joshua about the people that he meets, and, and specifically Rahab. This is, says, this is what Rahab says when he meets them and she hides them. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that great fear has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. 
We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. We have heard of it. Our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed. Now, this is the testimony of everybody in her town at this point. And she says, because of you. Now, this, the last phrase is her testimony. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Right here. See, Rahab was acknowledging her belief in God being the Lord of all. It was right here, I think, was the testing point for Rahab. Because everybody in their, in her city, as she told, their hearts were melting in fear because of these Hebrews that were coming in and they knew that they were going to conquer the land. She knew it. Okay, they knew it. But they chose not to follow after this God. And she's like, I need to serve this God, this Lord of creation. And I believe that this is what James is acknowledging here in this passage as her saving faith. She believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The point in Pastor James using Rahab as an example is to show what real faith will do. Real faith equals action. Real faith takes risks. Do you believe that by her turning on her city that this would have been a risk for her? I would propose, yes, it was. And what Pastor James is showing is he's citing her as the example, kind of in contrast to some in his congregation who were not living out their faith. And basically he's saying, listen, real faith is going to lay it all on the line. It's going to take risks. And that's why he says, if you're not doing that, it's like the body without the spirit is dead, faith without works is dead. Here's the question that I want us to think about in closing. Is our faith so real that it, is, it clearly is seen in our actions? What example of faith am I setting? My friends, I believe that God rewards us when we put our faith into action. I want to illustrate this. These three items are things that are useless in and of themselves. I mean, I got, I picked practically one of the nastiest rags that were in my rag pile back at home. I mean, this is a nasty rag. And this pair of boots is just rubber on leather, and they're pretty nasty as well. And we got a song sheet here. Now, I want you to know that these three things kind of represent you and I, okay? Just nasty. Okay, in and of ourself, we don't have a whole lot of use, okay? We are kind of like these things. But I want you to know that when we are dedicated to the Lord, that all of a sudden these things that are like nasty, all of a sudden can be used. This rag can be used to wipe the tears of those that are mourning. This rag could be used as a tourniquet in order to save somebody's life who is, uh, has blood loss. It could be used that way. These boots, if they're used properly, could be used to take the gospel into places that is hard to reach and thus could be used to save a soul. This song sheet, which is just notes on paper, 
if used properly by an individual, can be used to send a message to the body, to somebody that's listening. And as they hear the words, it could save a marriage, could save a life, could save a soul, could save a marriage. What makes the difference? What makes the difference is Jesus Christ giving purpose to, to those items. I want us to think about what God wants to do through each and every one of us. We're like these objects. If we stand dormant, then that kind of faith is absolutely useless. But if we do what God wants, then we become useful for the kingdom. By the way, just as a side note, Abraham's family did eventually bring about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. I think you already knew this, but... What you may not have known is that Rahab ends up marrying a Jewish man. She goes with the Jewish people. She marries a guy named Salom. Salman was in the family line of Judah, which is of the family line of Jesus Christ. And you know those genealogies you read in Matthew that we just kind of pass over? This is what it says in Matthew. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, of whom Jesus, who is the Christ, was born. Rahab's faith not only saved the spies, but allowed her to be a part of something much bigger than she could ever imagine. What example of faith am I setting? Let's close in prayer. Lord, as we evaluate this, as we think about our example... I pray that you would motivate our hearts, that you would help us to think of the example that we are. Help us to be a people, help us to be men that are willing to dedicate our lives to you. That we would dedicate every aspect of our body, every aspect of our mentality, every part of our spirituality to you, Lord. That you would take and use us. Lord, we want to stand committed to you today to be men of courage, to not have to wake up after a wake-up call, but help us to be alert, help us to be alive, help us to be vibrant in our faith, help us to be that kind of a person. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen.